0: And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox.
1: Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every single solitary week for over 20 years, we've been working our little fingers to the bone, trying to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow up your own real estate investing business. And today we're talking about a hot topic, the apartment world. The apartment world is crazy right now. All of a sudden, everybody from Wall Street to, seems like every investor on the street is super interested in investing in apartments. And we know what happens when demand goes up, right? Prices go up too, and that usually means in the real estate world that returns go down so the question is how are the people who are still playing the game making it work because there are lots of people out there i see it every day in our RE groups here in ohio and with some of my network around the country folks that are being very successful at getting good passive investments in apartment buildings One of those people is Corey Peterson, who is the owner of Kahuna Investments, and he likes to put together deals with other folks who are putting in money and provide, you know, stable returns and long term capital appreciation, which, you know, to me, that's kind of the definition of What is a good investment? Now, to understand the level at which he plays this game, he has bought and managed over $95 million worth of real estate all around the country. He's written a couple of books. He's spoken at Harvard. That's a new one for guests on this show, that they've been guest speakers at Harvard. And also NASDAQ, and he gets called on all the time by cbs and fox and abc and nbc affiliates to talk about this business so he's a big deal let's welcome to real life real estate investing mr Corey peterson cory welcome
2: hello dina uh, Vina, uh, <laughs> i'm having a i don't hear you so well but i i i hear you so that's, that's good
1: that's interesting because i'm hearing me really loud i'm of course my... okay well
2: i'm gonna come up right here i think it's this may work better.
1: Okay. Yeah. Because it's important.
2: Cause you, you, <laughs> I get, got you now.
1: You've got a bunch of questions to answer, buddy. I, 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 I'm ready. I, there, there's stuff I want to know, and there's stuff other people want to know about how exactly this is working, given that we see these big apartments. And I, you know, I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. So, yeah, Midwest, right? Yeah. <laughs> stuff that, stuff's not expensive in the Midwest. And. They go up on the market at prices that would represent an optimistic cap rate of like three and a half percent, and they sell yes like they're they're under contract like days later and for for those of us who have you know been around the business for many decades um that sort of rate of return in return for what you what what one goes through. In managing large buildings like that doesn't make sense. So you're going to tell us how you're making it make sense, okay? Because we all want I out. can
2: do that. I can do that. So here's what's the very is what's really interesting. and Believe it or not, this is I I think the way that you're going to win in this economy is with what I call broker relations. And I know that sounds really weird, um, but in the commercial apartment space, and this is why I really like it is that it's really not tied. It is kind of a good old boys game, and, and I think it creates an unfair advantage, meaning these brokers work really hard to find people that want to sell. And what they're looking for is also good buyers that can buy bigger projects um, that can take them down. And, and essentially what I'll call that is get them a paycheck. And if you can demonstrate that you are a good buyer, Um, and can get them a good paycheck without too much stress or whatever, they will then give you an off-market deal. And, um, you know, we're under contract for quite a few million dollars this year. We'll probably do $65 million in acquisitions. And most of those deals, four out of six, are private sales, meaning we're not competing with anybody else out there. And I think that is the way. And well, why would sellers do that? Um, There's lots of reasons, but I think sometimes they just want, like, I've got a a group that they're older. They're 85 and they just, they don't want to disrupt their property or their staff. They've owned it for 10 years and they're just looking for a good buyer to take them out and, uh, and so they can enjoy the rest of whatever they're doing. And so when you do those types of deals, I think you can get, a lot better, um, some, some value out there that that's not in the marketplace. I mean, cause it's, it's crazy everywhere, mm-hmm. but how do you fix crazy? You got to go with the good approach of having great relationships with people that can put you in the right position to win.
1: That's, that's so much to unpack the, the, um, so, so one thing I just heard you say was, you know, I started out by saying, more competition drives prices up, et cetera. And I think what you just told me was you kind of take the competition thing out of the picture by having these relationships with people who will feed you deals that you have no competition on. There's not somebody else standing there with a bigger check.
2: I mean, it's a real reality happening right now in this market. Um, $24 million deal under contract and another $17 million deal a contract both from the same broker that, that knows me well um, and has given me off-market opportunities with people that he knows well. Um, and so it, it can be done, but it, does it take a little bit of work and is it a little bit abstract? Of course, but that's what you got to be. you got to be nimble in this marketplace to be able to win and to win right where you're not going to get hurt in the future.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So you do know that every new investor who's listening to us who is listening because I said we were going to talk about partners just went, well, if you got to be the like the buyer who can pull the trigger right away. And well, that's I mean, that's not me because I'm I'm not Corey. I've never bought an apartment building before. So when we get back from the break, I want you to talk to them About how they can get into your position without having $24 million in their pocket. I got a great story for you. (laughs) That they can spend. All right. So listeners, we're talking about apartments today. I know a lot of you guys are super interested in either skipping the single family phase altogether or alternatively moving from the smaller units to the bigger units. And you got somebody here that you can talk to today who uh, has done that. You know, many, many times. So, this is a great time to answer questions, to ask questions that you might have about that. You can do that by giving us a call at 877 772 9658, or alternatively by sending an email. Just send it over to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones Cox. My guest today is Corey Peterson, who, by the way, Y'all, y'all, y'all were probably waiting for this. You listeners who've been listening for years, you were probably waiting for this to happen. Corey is going to be doing an all-day workshop at the 2021 National Real Estate Investing Summit here in Cincinnati on November 4th through 7th. You heard it here first. The dates are November 4th through 7th, same location, Great Wolf Lodge. It's going to be live. There's going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there. And Corey will be one of the instructors. And because he had such a, you know, he's got, I mean, this topic is huge. There's so much to know about apartments. Uh, he's doing it all day on Thursday the 4th. And you listeners will be hearing about that more in the upcoming weeks. Because there will be a way for you to sign up for the convention at a discounted price. And all your money goes to WMKV. So... Win-win, win-win, win. I don't even know how many wins are in that. Um, so, Corey, before we before we address the question of how do brand new investors even take the first little tippy toe into this world, where you're talking about twenty-four million dollar deals and sixteen million dollar deals, can we talk a little bit about how you got there?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I started off as a single-family fix and flipper. Right, that was that's my background. And um, what I really got good with in that that game was I had to learn how to raise private money to finance my single family fix and flips. And but the problem was always the same problem that a lot of the single family guys have is once you flip one, you got to do it again and again and again and again and again. And it became just like I was working like a slave. I felt like I just. I was never off the hamster wheel. And I said, there's got to be a better way. And so, you know, I started looking around. I started looking at these apartments. And I was like, surely that, that looks more stable. It looks long-term. Um, and so I got educated on the apartment, you know, how to buy them, how to find them, how to evaluate them. And, you know, I started off with a small deal. I started off with a duplex. Um, then I got it into a quad. And then I went into and you know, finally I got to where I uh, I bought my first real I call it real apartment deal for 3.2 million bucks, um, but I didn't do it by myself. I found two other partners, and I think that's what I what I love about the multifamily apartment game is that it's usually not played alone. In my single family game, I play you do it a lot by yourself, but in the multifamily, it's really was done with partners most of the time. And you find partners that can bring the other things that you don't have to the party. And so once I realized that was the play, um, I went out and I went to, uh, you know, the events like you're talking about, you know, where I went and and networked and found the right people and and started kind of putting together different people that I thought could um, help do a deal together. And we we kind of rallied and said, hey, we've got this one. I think we should all do it. And uh, we all committed to it. And that's how we got our first apartment deal.
1: Can I just say and, and can I just say amen to 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 the the general f- philosophical thing you just said because I have seen that over and over and over with with people looking to do big deals, small deals, new strategies right real estate people are trying to get into notes, note people who are trying to get into mobile homes you know the the whole the whole gamut, and it is so true that wealth building is a, just it's just a team sport it it doesn't matter yeah. it doesn't matter how many you know numbers are after the comma <laughs> in that three um it's uh it just just meeting meeting people and and seeing you know who you who you like right because that's the first thing you don't want partners that you can't stand to be around because that's a little bit like being married to somebody you can't stand being around but also people do have different resources and this guy over here and this is this is how i often see it happen in the apartment business this guy over here is really high income has great credit and has a big chunk of money put away and he really likes apartments but he does not have time like he does not have the time to look for them he doesn't have time to evaluate them he certainly doesn't want to fly out to Kansas City and look at it he just wants the benefits he does not want any, he's he's educated about them he knows what the benefits are he just doesn't have time to do the work And then you got this guy over here who has no money, but has all the education, all the time to do the stuff. And the two of them get together and boom, there's a deal because one guy had the money and the other guy had the time.
2: And magic happens, right? And that's really the epitome of what that apartment deal does. That is exactly it. It it lines up like that almost 95% of the time where, you know, the different recipe is, you know, you have a couple different partners. Maybe it's more than one, maybe it's just two. Um, But you all can usually come together, and I've always learned to do deals. We can do a deal on this potential property, but it doesn't mean we have to do the next deal together because on the next deal there may be some other people that want to be a part of it because they could add more value. Mm -hmm. And so you don't see usually partnerships like long-term partnerships, but you can see people come together to do a deal and then at the same time, you know, they're getting lots of experience along the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's really, that's how I did my first deal is I, I actually partnered with people that were, um, were doing it a lot more better than I, and longer than I had. I was the new guy, mm-hmm. but I was the guy that you, the second guy, not the guy with the money. <laughs> I was that first, <laughs> the other guy, the guy that had a lot of want to and need to. Um, and I found a deal and I, and I found the guys with money. Now, I didn't get all of the GP all of the ownership I had to give up a lot to get in my first deal but I was willing and it's turned out really really well for me
1: well yeah because not only did you get a piece of a deal that you couldn't have done on your own I mean let's, let's let's face it when you're when you're starting you just can't do it on your own many times with these big deals but you also got those relationships with those people who know more people who have money and credit and connections. And you also got the experience of having done it. But I think a a crucial thing that you, you, you sort of, you didn't gloss over it, but like you didn't make a big deal out of it is you came to them, not asking them to educate you about what apartments were. (laughs) What did a deal look like? You, You came to them with some, with some education. Uh, under your belt. I knew what
2: I was talking about. I knew what a deal looked like and I knew that they would agree that I had a deal. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Right? So, so, the- f- so for that note, for, for that newbie who, you know, maybe they have say, taken some apartment classes, maybe they've done all the homework and they know how to run a, you know, spreadsheet and come up with a cap rate and they know what that even means. <laughs> but, but you said earlier, you know, broker relations are the name of the game how do you not discourage them when they're like, well, I don't have any broker relations because I've never done a deal. So I have nothing to prove. I have nothing worth that. I can prove to somebody that I can actually pull the trigger.
2: So just like I did. So here's exactly what I did when I was brand new, how I got my first one. I didn't have the experience or, or any of that. Um, now, what I did was I simply just found broker. I, I called a bunch of brokers and I scheduled as many lunches and breakfasts as I could and met these people in their market um, and believe it or not people have to eat they, they really do <laughs> and so as long as I'm paying for it a lot of times they'll give me a little bit of time and in those little communications that's where we built a little bit of commonality enough to where um, the first one that I did Dina you know is I I had this call and it went really well. It was a great breakfast. And from there, the following day, he's like, you know, I just like you. And I've got this This, this little small deal just came up. It's not one that I would normally um, want to really promote, but I just I thought about you, and it, it landed on my desk. And here was a brand-new green guy, just me, with a lot of hope and ambition. And all I did was I had a good breakfast meeting. Mm-hmm. And that happens more than more than people will ever give credit for, because people are people and they want to do business with people that they feel like they know. And in that breakfast meeting, what did we talk about? We didn't really talk about a lot of real estate. I talked about his family, his girls, what he liked to do. You know, he was a soccer dad and, you know, all the things that really mattered to him I really didn't talk about me that much. And by learning a lot about him, I was able to, uh, you know, and then he came back and finally asked me more questions about me. And at the end of the day, we left with good feelings about each other. And sometimes that's all it takes, believe it or not.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know,
2: uh, then i have also say to prepare yourself. So if you're a new guy and you need to arm yourself, then borrow someone else's credibility. And that, that is really an art. That's why you go and network so you can find other people's credibility that you can borrow, and then you can arm yourself with that as you're going to talk with these brokers.
1: Explain that. What, how do I borrow somebody's credibility?
2: So when you're networking and you're you know finding other people that want to do like deals, and someone's got that credit and that money, and you're saying, hey, listen, you know, here's what I think I want to go do. I'm going to go find us some deals and... Find brokers. Um, can I leverage, uh, you know, what you've done? Maybe they've bought a couple of deals or syndicated a couple of other deals, and they've got credibility. Go get snapshots, get pictures, get, you know, have that in your profile in your in your pitch deck mm-hmm. as you're meeting this new broker, so you can borrow someone's credibility if you're if you're if they're going to be on your team, and so you can do that and get. now you can't just be have to be very authentic i'm fairly new but i'm you know this is my partner and he is not new and he can do this and and this is what we're doing together he's put me in this market to go find deals Mm -hmm. and next thing you know you're having real conversations and that's a lot it's really it's an art of of meeting people and then you know showing them that you're not just the guy that came off the new class but you've really done some homework just so that you've got the right connections and the right people that they'll take you seriously.
1: Well, as, as I understand it, and again, you know, as you know, apartments aren't, aren't my thing. I, I get it. I understand <laughs> how profitable they are. Um, you know, I've seen some deals that I kind of went, man, I maybe should have done that one. I, even, even though it's not kind of in my wheelhouse, but from what I see amongst, you know, the folks at our who are doing a lot of apartment deals there's almost always somebody's credibility being borrowed in every deal it this isn't this isn't a this isn't something that you know you're making up and saying uh, you only do it when you're a beginner you do it later on too because like in a lot of these deals there seems to be a credit partner who's putting a signature on the bottom of the line an experienced partner who can say yeah i've done this before i'm not gonna you know really put much money in it but you know i'm the guy who has done this before and there's a cash one or sometimes many cash people putting up the down payment or the rehab costs or whatever i mean i've seen these deals that involve 11 or 12 different people and none of them are all egotistical and going well i'm the guy they're all borrowing each other's credibility
2: yeah and really and that's the beauty of it and that's that's how you got to be resourceful to buy these you know that's how you kind of I guess grow your mindset, because what's the value of doing that? What you know of putting yourself out there and not being e- egotistical and, and sharing each other's resources and value. What does it really ultimately produce? Passive income. You know, Robert Kiyosaki talked about it, but a lot of my fix and uh, flip friends are not living it. They don't experience it because passive income is made by those long-term holds, those buy-and-hold projects. And that's what the multifamily apartments do is just that it creates some value and cash flow. And then you get a big back end if you do it right and and operate well, it can be really profitable when you sell. Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. All right. When we come back, Corey, I want to answer some listeners questions. And I also want you to give us your feeling overall about the, the market as it sits right now. You know, why Why is it what it is? Where, what are the, you know, and what classes of apartments are the best deals? All of that sort of stuff. So listeners, if you have questions, give us a call at 877-772-9658. I'll say that again because it's a lot of sevens. 877-772-9658. Or you can send an email to AskVena, A-S-K-V, like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com. Support comes
0: from Ellsworth and Associates, a dedicated team of accounting professionals serving greater Cincinnati and northern Kentucky with over 25 years of experience. They provide real estate investors, advice and tax strategies, and business advice in analyzing potential property investments. More information from Ellsworth and Associates at 513-272-8400 or at ellsworthcpa.com. Checking on
2: traffic right now, we still have the ramp from southbound 75 to eastbound Fort Washington Way shut down because of a serious accident. Watch out for uh, an accident Hamilton Avenue between Crest and 275, and we still have the railroad uh, blocking, a train uh, blocking Ridge Road near Maple Leaf over in Pleasant Ridge. Your weather forecast tonight, uh, some clouds again tonight. A 40% chance of an additional shower or thunderstorm overnight tonight, 70 degrees for the low. Tomorrow, a high of 86 with a 50% chance of a pop-up shower or thunderstorm. But Friday looks great, sunny and 82, and then we'll have a 70% chance of rain both Saturday and Sunday. Right now, it's pretty warm. It's 88 degrees, but the sun is shining here at WMKV and WLHS.
1: Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host Vina Jones Cox, and uh, it just occurred to me, Corey was mentioning uh, credibility kits, kind of really packages. What did you call those, Corey? You said something about a deck.
2: Yeah, pitch deck. A pitch right? deck. That's kind of your who you are, what you've done, um, credibility kit. A lot of people call it credibility kit, right? Mm-hmm. Who your who your partners are, who your potential team is. Um, those that little thing right there can you can utilize that. Tremendously well, to you know, find those new investors and new people and and brokers to to give you deals.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you said that because uh, Cincinnati REA is actually having a workshop on Saturday that is about how to put together a credibility kit. Now it's not it's not like a apartment credibility kit. It's like I need to raise money for a single family home or I need a a portfolio lender to agree to make me a loan and I don't have much experience or I'm going after a private lender something like that. Um, But it's uh, being taught by Robert Mohan, who has been a guest here on the show and is a humongous expert in that whole thing. He's borrowed millions and millions of dollars from little banks with his credibility kit. And I just wanted to let listeners know that Robert has agreed to let that be open to anybody who wants to sign up it's sponsored by Cincinnati REIA. and therefore you can find out about it at CincinnatiREIA.com. that cincinnati r e i a.com um i found those to be very 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 powerful for me when i was when i when i realized the conventional loan market was basically closed to me because of my age credit score and the fact that even when i got qualified i could only get five loans Um, I borrow a lot of money based on just walking in a meeting with bankers and private lenders and saying, let me show you my vision. Let me show you my team. Let me show you my stuff that stuff that's not on a Fannie Mae application. And it, it really, it really does affect people. So let's, um, let's get Corey's take on the market. I know everybody's, everybody's got an opinion. But what, what do you think is going on that have just made, I, I have never seen in, in many, many years in this business, I have never seen apartments as hot or as, as a, like such a target of people's interest in money as I have seen them in the last five years. What is up with that?
2: Man, it has been nuts. It really is. It, and so where do I see it going? I think that it's going to stay here for a little bit longer. I think we're in probably about a three more year of an inflationary period until they start to finally raise the interest rates. And now who we've got really low interest rates, who knows how long we'll stay that low, but I, I got to assume that it's still gonna be a little bit longer because you know, administrations wanna keep it low. Um but eventually it's gonna catch up. So Here's our take on the market. Right now, we are still in the buy mode. And why are we buying even in this inflationary period? Well, because we believe we can make more money in an inflationary period. We know that we can quickly do rehabs. We can um, raise values you know, significantly higher as we raise rents. And I don't think it's going to stop for the next two or three years. So as long as they're printing cheap money, out there in which they're doing plenty of that there is so much money out there on the sidelines just that passive money that wants to invest in deals and the other part is you know the stock market is you know high um but everybody's wondering when that's going to go out and so i think there's a lot of cash just waiting to be put into apartment deals and really any real estate deals in my opinion mm-hmm. and so i just see and then on top of that you know they're still talking about printing more money, and you know, giving this uh, the, the reconstruction stuff, all the you know, all the the bridges and roads and all the stuff that the government's just going to keep putting some money in the economy. And don't fool yourself; that is a lot of money, and it goes a long way. And then the one thing that I don't think anybody's talking about is how much people, how much money people really have. Listen, during COVID, Vina. No one traveled, no one spent, they didn't go to Disneyland and spend all their money. Um, You know, that's why it's, you know, the magical kingdom. It's magic because you always spend three times your budget, right? And you still leave happy. Um, That didn't happen last year. So people have cash and they want to put it to work. And I think that's what's, and that's trillions and trillions of dollars out there. And so I don't think that real estate is going to slow down yet. Um, I think we got another couple years of some really good growth opportunities.
1: Yeah, the there's a ton of money out there, and it's dumb to have it in cash when your cash is degrading in value by 12 or 15% a year, which is what inflation actually does, is it makes your cash worth less. And yeah. when you look at the alternatives, like, okay, so where can I put my money passively and get... Money back. You're looking at bonds, which are what sub two percent, right? Yeah. You're looking at you're looking at you're looking at unattractive return. If you can get back two percent, but your the value of that dollar is going down by twelve percent, that's actually you're going backwards on that. You're
2: going
1: <laughs> so, broke safely, right? So, I think I think that um, you know a, people do tend to flee to real estate in. Times when the stock market is iffy and in times when there's high inflation. Um, I'm sure you don't remember the 70s, but I grew up in a family that was in real estate in the 70s, and there was a similar rush to property when inflation, you know, got to at one point, you know, 18, 19% a year uh, because people were just like, I got to put it someplace safe. And, you know, they say safe as houses. So... I, you know, I think maybe the same thing is happening here, and we've just completely forgotten about it because most of the guys who were investing in real estate back then are long since retired and/or dead. So they're so, not
2: doing it as much anymore. No. But I, I think you're spot on. And, Vina, you know, I'll tell you this: I, I, w- I would have never dreamed like I, we we bought property last like three years ago for like something like nine million dollars. We're under contract for twenty million dollars for that deal, and I, I just I think about what do we really do? We didn't. I mean, we we improved the property, but just the compressed cap rates and the cheap access to money has given and, and the way we're raising rents, it is just a recipe for. If you're not in an inflationary product right now, you you need to be, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's. That's how you win in this economy It's for everybody that's not doing it, you're, you're going to lose. Uh, it's going to be like a, a slow death of taking, eroding your, your buying power. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, it's weird because a lot of people can't say that out loud. A lot of people who are suddenly interested in real estate can't say out loud. Well, what I'm doing is I'm creating a hedge against inflation because typically the, you know, house prices raise with inflation. But it's like they somehow feel it. Yeah, it's like it's like there's some instinct to go into real estate when that is going on. Uh, Okay, so we got a couple of listener questions that I would like to uh, like to have you answer. Uh, This one is from Randy, who does not say where he is from. But I'm going to say based on some of the stuff at the bottom of his email that it might be the St. Louis area. Uh he says when you off uh, when do you offer a preferred payment method plus equity in the deal versus preferred payment only and I think before you answer Randy's question because Randy has obviously studied this you better explain what Randy is talking about
2: <laughs> Yeah what what does preferred mean <laughs> <laughs> Yeah so so he's
1: talking about he's talking about the 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 raising of money that's not oh, that's not from the bank this would be from right. investors. And explain what the preferred payment plus equity method is versus preferred payment only.
2: Yeah. So, you yeah, know, you just talked about like on the when, on the investment side when, you know, you get a bank loan and maybe your uh, passive investors give you the cash needed to make up the rest of the down payment plus the repairs and things like that, um, usually you're going to structure some type of uh return using what we we normally use a private placement memorandum or some type of security that we create and then you'll structure that with either a lot of times they do what's called a pref which is what he's talking about with a, you know a pref return percentage along the way as people pay their rents you're giving your investors a piece of that cash flow and then a lot of times most investors will give then also a piece of the back end when you sell it you'll give your investors a, an additional return of some additional profit. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it really just depends on each uh, individual operator, but I would say in general, most do the both. Uh, both. They give you a pref in the front and a, a piece of the back end um, is what I normally see most syndicators do, and that's what we do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we typically don't just do a pref and that's it. That's usually more in a restructure structure or something that's a little bit more sophisticated um, because I think most most uh, people like us that are doing an apartments we want to share with the investor base uh, on on the back end profits as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And and for listeners who've never heard that term preferred payment before what it what, what it comes down to is the investors who put in the money get paid first. That's why it's the yes. preferred payment. Corey doesn't get paid if there's only enough money to pay the investors, but it's not it's not like an interest rate where it's a guarantee. So if the if the property spends the first six months in rehab, you know maybe he has to empty it completely out because it's filled with filled with bed bugs and mold, and he's got to go in and redo every apartment. So for six months, no cash flow at all. The investors don't get anything, and neither does he. But when it does start making money, the investors get paid first. That's why it's called preferred payment. Okay, so got a question from one of those first-time apartment buyers. This is Jess, who's from the Youngstown area. She says, I just turned tuned into the radio show, and I'm really glad I did because I want to get two six-unit buildings in my area. The seller is willing to do five-year seller financing, but I have no cash for reserves. So my question for Corey is, should I borrow the reserves at 6% for turnover, updating, et cetera? So that, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good thought to have is sure I can get these, but then how do I actually take care of maintenance and stuff like that? Do you recommend that she borrow that money or would something like getting a partner who had reserves be your approach?
2: I would always find a partner. I love these types of deals and those scenarios. That um, so great, great. By the way, getting just you know she has the opportunity to get some deals. That's great. And then the that part is just, in my opinion, is how do you strategize to do it and what's the cost? A lot of times you can bring in a partner that will give you the money and there's no um, rate of return that you got to you know give that person just a split of the profits on the back end. And I think. Sometimes that's the easiest way to not burden the property um, and then just make a split that makes sense to you. But if you can go borrow money or you can say, hey, I've got a, a person that I know has got you know $40,000, whatever that amount of money is, and you can do some type of uh, note with them, you could probably do that as long as it was just one person. Um, where you get into security law changes in this apartment world that we're talking about is when you get money from more than one person, you are then creating a security, and there's do's and don'ts with that. So you want to be very careful on how you do it. So, uh, But to have one partner that would bring it in, that's I think that's the way I would do that.
1: And, and again, Jess, good for you for thinking forward past, oh, I can get a no-money-down deal to... And then what happens if the refrigerator breaks and I have to replace it? Cause I kind of do have to do that. Like a lot of people think, think up to the point of the purchase and not past where it comes to do I have enough money to do this? Okay. So, uh, we need to take one final break and I want to invite listeners again, uh, probably, probably best at this point to send an email. Uh, if you have any questions for Corey, it is askvina at gmail.com, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Corey Peterson, a.k.a. The Big Kahuna, and he is the doer of $95 million worth of deals and adding $65 million to it this year, apparently, so... Like, you, you, you're you doing three quarters of the business you've done in the past in one year, it sounds like. It's
2: been a crazy year, Davina. Like, I can only tell you, I'm so blessed. And um, I would have never imagined in a million years that we'd be doing the kind of business that we are. But um, it is so rewarding and fulfilling because the great thing about apartments is you really build, when you fix these things up, you're building really nice communities for people to live and and just and then you get to make investors money too so it's a you said earlier win 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 i think all we're doing is winning here Mm
1: -hmm. and then you get to go out and teach other people how to do it
2: (laughs) that's the best part
1: (laughs) what you're doing at the upcoming national real estate summit that is um i just i just want listeners to go ahead and get this on their calendar now that they just there's nothing else that they have to do november 4th through 7th that's just just write it on your calendar We'll tell you more about it later on. Okay, so Randy, who had asked the uh, prior question about the preferred returns, emailed back number one to say that he's in Marietta, California, and number two to say to ask you, Corey, what is your criteria for using private lenders versus conventional banks?
2: I well, great question. I normally try to use conventional banks first, and there's a reason for that, is because typically it's the most cheapest capital. So he who has the lowest cost of capital usually wins, and the cheapest that I know of is normally from Freddie or Fannie Mae, uh, you know, bank, you know, banks. Banks have cheap cost of capital. Uh, the next piece is then your investor portfolio, and your, your cash investors or your private lenders. And I think um, we try to marry the two together, so we get as much. Bank money as we can on when we're buying an asset, and then we look and say, okay, how much uh, investor capital do we need, and what's it going to cost us to borrow it, and you know, do we have a real payback plan to give them and, and pay them in return, and, and that's the wonderful thing about apartments and, and part of what we, we we talk about is it's all based on numbers, and it's not based like single family real estate on emotions and you know, comps and some other things. It's really just based on numbers and you fall in love with numbers and you don't ever fall in love with a deal. And that's really how we do it.
1: Okay. Yep. All right. So here's a question from JC in Las Vegas, who we haven't heard from in quite a while. I don't know where JC's been. Uh, He says, please ask Corey, which geographic sub markets he thinks still have value and why are there any special places that he's looking he wants my honey holes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll give some out. I really like Tucson right now. I'm really hot on Tucson, uh, Arizona. I like it. It's a sub-market of Phoenix. Phoenix is truly on fire, and um, but uh, Tucson usually lags about a year behind it. And so we like Tucson really well. And then we go then from Tucson, because I, I live in Arizona, but then I go across to Oklahoma um, I like Oklahoma I think Texas is super hot but I like Oklahoma City I like Tulsa um, a lot just because I think that's middle America um, and then from there I go to Georgia and I don't like necessarily Atlanta but I like all the outskirts there's a lots of little markets all around Atlanta that I think are really good um, Columbus Georgia one Warner Robins. There's a big military base there, um, so I like I like that market as well.
1: So, what goes into but, your thinking about that sort of thing? Is it do you, do you look at like job growth or population growth or prices versus rents or like what, what what goes on in Corey's mind when he goes, "Ooh, I found a new one that I like."
2: Uh, yeah, our first one is jobs and grow and just growth like overall growth. Are more people moving into the city or moving out? What jobs are there? And, you know, we service a workforce housing community. That's what I do. I don't buy the brand new apartment buildings. I I build or buy the ones that are 1970s to, you know, 1990s, early 2000s. Those are the ones that I buy, and I usually can fix them up. So I find that um, job growth is number one. And then we start looking at some of the the minor, the the more detailed metrics of um, how much, you know, what, how, how wealthy is that population in that zip code versus the state? Um, What's the crime statistics? Very, very, you know, like that's a powerful statistic. You could think you're in a great area, but if the crime statistics say that that zip code is bad, um, you may not want to invest there. And so we really do a really good research in looking at the, you know, all the, the demographics of the marketplace and then we still got to go visit that marketplace, Fina. So you've got to go put your boots on the ground. And sometimes you got to kick the tires of some of these deals and understand, like, hey, if there's a gas station right next door and everybody's foot traffic and walking in and out of that gas station from your apartment, that may not be one that you want to buy because that's hard to stop.
1: Hmm. Hmm. See, that's that's the kind of little detail right there that people who don't bother to get educated would never, they never even think about the gas station next door. So I appreciate that. Um, So Ray from Cincinnati, who uh, by the way is the co-leader of the apartment focus group here in the Cincinnati area says, uh, when you're, when you're, when you're selling your apartment deals, who are you finding is the typical buyer?
2: Man, we, we normally want to find a buyer so this is what I've learned to – how do you sell your properties for the most money, Vina? You want to sell to a family office or a broken 1031 exchange. Mm. Ask me how I know. <laughs> um, and so how do you find those people and how do you prep your uh, deal for that? What we like to do is – you know, usually we hold a deal for five years, Vina, and there's a reason for that. Your first year is to fix all the broken stuff. The second year, we fix all the broken tenants. We, we upgrade our, our tenant base. And then the next three years, we are trying to keep our expenses as tight as possible, raise our rents as high as possible, and create a nice, clean P and L, profit and loss statement. And when you have a good three years of meticulous financials, guess who will overpay for your property? <laughs> a small family office, and a broken 1031 exchange. Now, for those of you who so said, what's a 1031 exchange? That's when someone sells a property and they have a certain amount of time and it's not very long to identify a new property so they can buy it and not have to pay taxes. So these people are highly motivated.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: what they want is a big, shiny, red, easy button. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when we can create a financial story that shows nice and solid rent growth year after year after year, it doesn't have to be a crazy or, or super you know, extreme. It just needs to be steady. Wall Street's family office, uh, 1031 exchanges that are broken, they like steady eddy, And when you can show a consistent rising income, um, those types of people will tend to overpay. And then you market to them.
1: Gotcha. All right. So, uh, Corey, we only have like two minutes left, but I did want to get this uh, question in from Joseph because he was super nice and said, thank you for the show, knowledge sharing and taking my question. So see Joe building relationships there by being nice. Uh, he says, with the prices of multifamily and large commercial deals being so inflated, are you seeing a lot of seller held commercial notes being created?
2: That I am, I am seeing a lot of that. i if you can get direct with the seller, this is why it's those private one on one sales are really um important is a lot more that is going down now than ever where there's a lot of uh, owner carry or seller carry going on today. and I think that's more prevalent now than it has been
1: in a while. yeah, probably since the seventies. he says also. Mm-hmm. How is the best way to present this option to a seller? And you have thirty seconds to answer that.
2: <laughs> um, ask, <laughs> always ask. Just go out there and just say, "Hey, listen, would you would you be willing to sell or carry?"
1: Yeah. What are you going to do with all that you- cash? Are you going to put it in the bank at point one percent interest, or would you like me to give? Yeah. Would you like me to double that? They already
2: that? know these things. They already have these. They're going to have these problems, and they know it. Yeah. So, yep. um, just show your business model, show them what you want to do, and ask them if they're willing to carry, and how much would they be willing to.
1: Excellent. Well, Corey, I I really appreciate you. This has been uh this has been a great uh sort of peek into what's going on in the real estate market right now. Thanks to all the listeners who asked questions. And remember that if you want some full on apartment training, the National Real Estate Summit coming up on November fourth through seventh. And that guy that you just heard is gonna be doing it all day on the fourth. More on that later. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.